Sales Paradise, episode 25. On today's episode, we have a real live negotiator. We're going to talk about how important this can be to sales, but also your family. All right. Well, welcome back. Lucin, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Jander. And just to make sure that my Southern accent did not butcher your name, could you please pronounce the whole thing again? <laughs> sure. My name is Lucine Merabi, and I'm happy to be here. Great. I appreciate it. Occasionally when I speak, um, I think people hear banjos in the back. It sounds so country. So <laughs> <laughs> tell us a little bit, I guess, overall about your background, um, you know, just a, a, a brief overview. Well, in a nutshell, I started the first part of my career in finance and investment banking. So I was head of sales and business development for big financial institutions living in the Netherlands and France. I did that for about 12 years. At the end of my career in finance, I was working for the Paris Stock Exchange. So the European Stock Exchange, where I was involved in high stake negotiations like M&A negotiations or IPOs or even a bit of lobbying uh, where we wanted to pass the laws that were most beneficial for the company. And because I was involved in all those negotiations, my company brought in um, two professional negotiators to train us in a year-long masterclass. And that was really fascinating um, because those um, trainers were actually professional negotiators on the field, like hostage negotiations, suicide negotiations, those kind, kind of negotiations that they were dealing with. So I thought I was really passionate and that increased my uh, negotiation skills even further. And I loved working with them. So I continued until I got um, a certification to be a certified professional negotiator. So all that was in 2013, 2014. Then to make a long story short, like many people, I felt like I didn't belong there. Like I was searching for more meaning. Uh, so I decided to leave finance, leave my career without knowing what I wanted to do at all. So that was a bit of a tricky period where I, I felt a bit lost, like, oh, what am I going to do now? And I only know how to do sales and finance. So I did a year long um, training at HEC Paris to become an executive coach. And it wasn't even to become a coach. It was just more to learn about myself and about life. I've always been passionate about human behavior. But that year opened eyes and I realized I really liked helping others. So it might sound cliche, but yeah, that's how it happened. And I uh, launched my, my company, my freelance company as an executive coach. And then fast forward, we moved to Dubai. That's where I am now. And those professional negotiators who had trained me five years, six years Earlier, they reached out because they actually saw on LinkedIn that I was in Dubai and working for myself. And they said, hey, we still remember you. We are expanding. Would you like to join us and give the training that you had back then now in Dubai in your activity? So, of course, I, 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 I mean, I was flattered and I went to Paris for the train the trainer and we launched that here. It's called the Pacific Cut Method which is an international negotiation method that allows you to prepare, conduct, debrief, and close any form of negotiation. Now, what, now remind me um, if I've missed it, um, like why was the, the first class in negotiation, like why did you take that? 
when you were in finance? Well, I was lucky to simply be elected by the company as one of the, I think we were like 12 who had the right to have this masterclass within. So the trainers would come to us and would share their knowledge and experience and everything during one year. They came like twice a month. And yeah, that was really passionate. So company organized it. And but did, like, it. did you have any indication at that time before that you, like, were you drawn to that? Or did, was that your first experience to even kind of? Well, I've, I've always been passionate by, <laughs> I'm going to tell you a funny story. I've, I've always been passionate by human behavior, by negotiation, lobbying, persuasion, all those things. And when I was about 15, I, I, I've always been a fan of reading. And I went to the library all the time. Back then, it was still a library. <laughs> <laughs> and I went with my sister and we would... Uh, take all these books for a book for a week and then take them back and once I took a book that was called how to become a better lobbyist and I remember my sister asking me like what does that even mean Louis can't you just take books of your own age <laughs> <laughs> so my passion has always been there and plus we, we grew up in a family with with, with a bit of a, a tough father and I was always pushed forward to negotiate things with him, like until what time can we go out and <laughs> all those things. And then, of course, in my job, I had to do it all the time. So I think there was, there was always this natural, I always liked it, the, the, the whole uh, art of how do you talk to someone and get things done and, you know, while being in, still keeping your integrity and, and ethics. So I've, it's always been a passion. That's why when I was elected to do this masterclass, I was really happy and I made sure I never missed any class. And then while I was doing it, it was again confirmed that I really loved it. At the end, we had to do the NSA, which is the negotiation skill test and assessment. It's an online test that allows you to, to evaluate your level of a negotiator. And I happen to have a very high score so that was for me a confirmation, like there is something here. There is, it's more than passion. I mean, I, I really like it because in general, if you ask people about negotiation, I always ask them, it, it, there is this, this negative connotation. People think about negotiation like a kind of manipulation or sales or cheesy, or there is still this negative thing surrounding the word, the verb, um, negotiation. So I've also made it one of my missions to actually change that, uh, to say that for me, negotiation is a, and for me, the best way of dealing with conflict. Now, that's really interesting because I think even in a sales situation, our, our prospects out there, lots of times we don't think about that whether they're conflicted in their mind or like them deciding what to do, that there is actually conflict. You know, there's a conflict of them deciding what their solution is going to be. Absolutely. And that's why I love combining my work as a negotiator and then as a coach, because for me, it's just in one way, I'm dealing with negotiation with someone else. And in the other, I'm dealing with negotiation with yourself which is the hardest. And I do believe that knowing yourself and knowing how to negotiate with yourself and getting things done for and by yourself is a great basics of then negotiating better with others. Now, is there a chance that without um, anyone telling me that my kids have taken any kind of class from you because they've gotten <laughs> really good at, at negotiating things from me? I don't, maybe, that, I don't, 
there, there may not be a win-win there, you know, where they <laughs> no, but have you been course. coaching them or? <laughs> I've, I've, I've also asked myself the same questions. Like, are they listening when I'm giving training? Like, do they know? Because they, they literally use the techniques that I'm teaching others. <laughs> yeah. Negotiation with, with, with children is always, is always tough. And that, that it has three reasons. Actually, one of them is with our children, we are compassionate. Whereas when you negotiate with others, it's always very good to be empathetic, but without going into becoming passionate, because then you always feel for them and you want them to win as well. So that's one of the reasons with our children, we love them. So we, we are passionate, compassionate with them. Another reason is that children, well, depending on the age, they don't necessarily know that there is an end to a negotiation, that we're not going to go on and on and on, that at a certain point there is a decision to be made and to be respected. So that's another thing that makes negotiation difficult with children. And the third one is, well, there are many reasons, but the third reason is also that children often, again, depending on the age, don't know what is negotiable and what isn't. So they just try everything. They think everything is negotiable and everything is on the table. So it's up to us as parents to always put to also remind them of, okay, until here and not further, this is negotiable, this isn't, this we can discuss about, this will always be decided by me, and these things are never negotiable. Um, but I think when you, when you, for me, negotiation is one of the crucial elements and aspects and skills to have in life. So I really encourage them to learn and I teach them about it and I tell them that it's very important to know how to negotiate and I encourage them to negotiate with me. And frankly, when they come up with good reasons and good negotiation tactics, I actually give in and I tell them, yeah, well done. That was a great negotiation. <laughs> so oh, yeah. also inspire them, you know, like, yeah, well done. You know, I don't have anything else to say. Good points. Okay, let's do this. Even though I had in my mind, like, no, we're not going to do that. As long, of course, as, as, as long as it's clear for them what the barriers are, like until where can you go and on which point and what will always be decided by the parents. But, you know, I like what you said um, when you said that um, they made, I don't remember, they made their point or they made the case or, or um, but the around the, the whole thing as far as with them negotiating with you, it's like they either help change your mind or they basically figured out a way of, okay, well, why is this going to be important for mom? You know, it's almost mm -hmm. like they brought you around instead of just um, like, you know, instead of just like, please, 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 you know, that it's, it's more of like, they, it's almost like they got creative in how they asked you or. Exactly. And that's an important skill to have, like in life, especially now with artificial intelligence coming up. I mean, it's only want to be these human aspects that will be that will be important for their lives. I mean, all the jobs that they're going to do probably don't even exist yet. So I think it's important that we help them with the human skills as much as we can. And also when there is a sibling fight and they're like, mom, I'm like, uh, -uh. if I come in, the solution is always going to be less than if you guys find a solution in between you, two of you. So now they're only five and eight, but they understood that we better find the solution ourselves because if we call in mom, the solution is not going to be that <laughs> as good. So that's just always given me a bit of air and free time. Like whenever they call me, I'm like, are you sure you want me to come in? Are you sure you want me to come down? 
<laughs> and then they're like, no, 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 never mind. We'll find a solution. We, won't, we don't want the, the professional coming down. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> well, you know, but that brings up a good point too, is like as a parent of um, three kids and, and half time, I think it's like 15 kids because of everyone at our house. Mm. I feel like a big part of being a parent is being almost like a referee at times, almost like a mediator. So what, how would you contrast or compare like negotiating with compared to mediating? Well, when I negotiate for a company, I obviously want that company to win. And if I mediate between two parties, then I am supposed to be neutral. That is one of the main differences between a mediator and a negotiator. As a negotiator, you choose a side and you do your best for that party. And I think technically or on the field, there are not that many differences. The, the Pacifica method that I use, for example, is also being used by professional mediators. It's just, I think it's more a personality thing. I know that for me, it's very difficult to be and to stay neutral. I know when I hear both sides of the story, I always tend to be more inclined to you know, want one of them to win. And knowing that of myself has made me choose to be a professional negotiator and not a mediator. But technically, in the terms of methods and tactics and strategies, I think it's the same. It's the same. It's just how do you position yourself? Do you try to make one party win? Or do you be really in the middle and like, I'm completely neutral and let's try to find the best solution that's the best for both parties, which in the end you also do in negotiation. So I think it's very thin line. And then of course there is the legal difference in some countries, a mediator has a, has a binding role in some countries uh, when you call a negotiator in and you negotiate something, then that is binding. So that's also cultural and depending on the laws. But apart from that, I think if you are a professional negotiator, you can also be a professional mediator. You just have to change the way you look at it. And then it comes down to self-awareness again. Me knowing myself, I know I, I have more energy when I, when I go and defend one party than when I have to play the peacekeeper. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, then what, what would you say then? Um, because obviously, whoever you're trying to negotiate with, um, it's maybe you're using some of the same skills and tactics, but it's going to be different if you're negotiating with your child compared to someone in a hostage situation or a political situation or a business negotiation? Are there certain steps that you take each time or what do you do? Yeah, most of the steps are the same. It's just your, the attachment you have with your children is always different than when you're negotiating with someone you don't like. It's always easier to negotiate with someone you don't care about than to negotiate with someone we like, right? We always give in faster and et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's very important to, to always bear that in mind. And that's why I also, for example, I don't negotiate on my own behalf. If I have to negotiate something that's really important and that's really important for me, I, 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 I ask one of my fellow negotiators to do it because I know I won't have the, my, my emotions would be too much involved because and then that would have an impact on my capacity to think and, and, and keep the strategic overview of what's happening. Well, what would you do uh, then? Like if someone called you in, cause obviously if it's your family, you already know them, you, you know, um, have rapport or whatever, but let's say someone said, we want you to help 
go in and again, whether someone's a sales rep or they call in a, you know, a specialized negotiator, mm-hmm. but it's like a company that you did not know, do you follow steps like, okay, do you do a lot of research or at what point? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, I literally go through the Pacificat method, which is a nine step method. Uh, that allows you, well, obviously you can't have the answers to all the questions and you can't predict what will happen in negotiation because every negotiation is different based on who you have in front of you, but their moods and and their demands and everything. So the only thing you can do is to really prepare yourself and think about, okay, what is it that I want? What is it that I need? What is my walkaway point? What if they say this? What if they say that? Um, and, and stay connected to what your needs are. Try to put the ego aside as much as possible and go in there and, and negotiate what seems fair to you and uh, then respect as well what they want and what seems fair to them and see if, if, if solutions can be found in, in there. But from all the negotiations I've done, I, and I think worldwide, I think the big, big majority of of conflict can be solved and not even conflict, but even simple disagreements can be solved through negotiations. And that's so wonderful about this job. I mean, you come into situations where people think, oh, this is going to be impossible. And that impossible is what, what excites me because then, you know, that's what we're going to transform into a possible. Well, have you ever come across some that they said they wanted one thing, but after you were talking to them, you realized that really wasn't even what was the deal breaker or? Almost every single time. Oh, really? Yeah, absolutely. And, and that is the ego part. We think we want something, but we haven't really questioned ourselves the, the main question as in why? Why do you want that? So it's not and that they're just you- putting you off sometimes or most of the times they don't even really realize what their real need is then. Exactly. And that's why it's so crucial to, to, to also know how to negotiate with yourself and to have at least a minimum level of self-awareness. Like, who am I? What do I want? What are my values? What are my negotiables? What are my non-negotiables? And, and, and work on that. And it's the same when I do coaching with people. When they come to me and they have a goal, I say, okay, this is your objective now, but first we're going to do a deep dive in your life. And then I'll ask you again, what is it that you want? And in 90% of the cases, the objective changes. Once we've gone through a deep dive of why do you want that? What if you don't get that? What if you do get that? What does success look like? And is there any other way to obtain what it is that you need instead of what it is that you want? There might be a big difference uh, in between those two. So it's crucial to start with yourself, say what it is that, it, that I need because when you focus on the need instead of the want, that is a very great way to push away the ego that wants things just for the show off or the whatever it is that that ego gets you know excited from. Yeah. And you go through the heart to like what is really important, what's really at stake. And once you understand your stakes, then there are loads of other ways to satisfy those stakes and then you become creative and then there are many other possible solutions on the table and then the negotiation becomes fun. So once you know that from yourself, then of course it's, it's, it's crucial to understand that from the other party. And as you rightfully said, sometimes people don't even know themselves what they really want or what their stakes are. So it's, it's 
very important to keep asking the questions and to keep, you know, with active listening, making sure you really understood what matters to them. And if there are other ways to, to give them what they need, instead of starting to negotiate on the position, which is what they say they want, and then go on and on and on about that, because they might say they want something, but the, the, the thing that they really want is something completely different. So if you start negotiating on what they say they want, it's not going to be a success anyway, because even if you would say best case scenario, you give them everything they say they want, if it's not really what they need, then they're not going to walk away satisfied anyway. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I've, I've probably even been um, the victim of my own uh, needs or, you know, that I thought were needs when they were really just wants. And then when I got it, it's like, okay, exactly. Well, no. you don't get that satisfaction, right? And I, oh, okay. So I don't even start to negotiate on anything that people say they want. First, I start digging and digging and digging and asking questions and really listening and analyzing their body language if I see them face to face or, 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 or anything else that I have, voice of tone and all those things, tone of voice. And then once I have the impression that I'm very close to what it is that it's really at stake, then that opens so many more possibilities of satisfying the stakes of both parties. Because that's when you feel satisfied, that's when you feel respected, that's when you feel like you have an ethical negotiation and that's when you can hold the relationship for further. Because we always think, uh, many people think short term, whether it's in sales or negotiation, like let's get this deal. But then what about tomorrow? You know, it's a small world. You can see each other again, even if it's someone you think you will never, ever negotiate with. It's still important to think about your reputation and about what people say about you. And it, again, it's a small world. It's important never to burn any bridges, even when you're negotiating with a hostage taker. You just never know. Yeah, there. Um, well, I, I would think, too, if you don't really get down to what the real need is, you're going to get uh, what they kind of coined as buyer's remorse, like whether even if it was a hostage situation, someone could still go, um, you know, uh, off the deep end or something, you know, at a time that you think you pretty much wrapped everything up. Yeah, Just exactly. Really Imagine hostage taker comes and he has 10 hostages and says, okay, I want a million and then I'll let them go. And you come in with the million and you just give it. And you never really understood what it was about. I mean, not someone is not just going to take people hostage. It's very deep what's happening there and their belief systems. And, you know, is it, is it to, to obtain something or is it to fight something or is it to fight for a cause or is it to fight against pain that they have? It can be, it can be so broad and every negotiation is different. So it's crucial to dig and not to stop at, okay, they say this is that they want. Automatically, you have to think, okay, that's what you say. Now let's go dig to see if that's true. Well, I, I could literally take five hours and just um, ask stories. Uh, <laughs> you know, I would just love to hear <laughs> all, all of this. Um, uh, so for our, our um, listeners, for them to kind of take some of this and then apply it to either when they're trying to sell or, or maybe they're trying to get a promotion or something like that. Are there certain mm -hmm. steps that they should go through that you would recommend? Like whether, like wh whether it's a matter of, um, I guess to really understand whether it would be a win-win. Yeah. Well, it's very important to work on yourself first. Okay. The state you're in when you negotiate is really important. 
uh, someone else can just sense whether you are motivated to negotiate or not, whether you are genuine, whether you are full of energy or whether you are tired and everything that those are signs that whether you want it or not, people pick up intuitively so they can use that against you. So make sure your state is good. Um, then number two, make sure that you know what it is that you really need by trying to squeeze as much as possible the ego aside and to and then go and negotiate on what it is that you need and not on what it is that you want always try to do your homework and gain as much as info information as possible about the other party about who they are what they do and what is important to them so that you can kind of prepare yourself of what it is that they will ask um fourth point important is also to always look at what is your negotiation power like what is the situation rationally and what it what what is it that you really can ask i mean for example if it's a salary negotiation do your homework about what is the reference what is normal in this company i mean is it one percent is it five percent per year did your peers get any salary increase and what is the reason that you want the salary increase against going back to what is what it is that you need Many people think about the money and without asking themselves, like, why? Okay, you want 5% increase? Why? And asking yourself, for example, the why question like 10 times in a row really allows you to go to what really matters. Like, you want 5%? Why? Okay, so that I can buy more stuff. Why do you want to buy more stuff? Uh, you know, and then asking yourself those questions because in the end, some people might really want the money because they just can't make ends meet at the end of the month. Some people might need more salary because then they can buy more stuff to show off. Uh, another person might want a salary increase because they think then that will give them more prestige. Um, and then another one, it's not even about the salary, but it's about the recognition or about the title. So once you know that, it's, it's much more easier to go in and, and, and get what it is that you need. Um, fourth point would be, really connecting with the other person. So building report if that's not there yet, but then always staying respectful, uh, full of empathy uh, and being assertive, you know, by always saying what it is that you want while respecting that the other person might want something completely different. Um, and always knowing how to close a negotiation, whether you have an agreement or not, how to walk away from there and still being able to look yourself in the mirror and still look at each other with a respectful way. I'm definitely um, going to be armed a lot more to deal with my kids <laughs> just based <laughs> on some of these. Well, if, you, if you want an insider trick, I learned this from my own mentor, uh, <laughs> Laurent Combalbert, who, who trained me. And I, I, I love this. He, he, he wrote a fantastic book. It's in French about how to become a better negotiator than your kids. I think I read the book like seven times inside out. <laughs> <laughs> and, and one of the simple tricks that he has, well, it's not a trick. I think it's more like a respectful way of parenting is he says, depending on the age of, on the age of the, your child, of course, but I've done this with my son last year is we sit together and we make a list of what is negotiable, what is not negotiable, and then what is never negotiable. So, What's on the never negotiable list are things that you never even talk about. It's just, we don't even talk about it. This is a fact, so don't even try. And those are things like for every family it's different, but for example, um, politeness, security, hygiene, 
all those things that are just never negotiable. You know, yeah. for example, my son uh, was always struggling with the seatbelt. Like, no, I don't want to put seatbelt. I don't know. And I said, that is never negotiable. So once we make the list, I sit in the car and I just say seatbelt. And he puts on the seatbelt <laughs> because he knows we're not even going to talk about that. And then on the non-negotiable list are the things that normally are not negotiable. Like, for example, brushing your teeth before you go to bed. However, in certain extreme cases, it's okay. So, for example, when we go out and he falls asleep in the car, I'm not going to wake him up to brush his teeth. I'm just going to put him in bed. So that comes then on the non-negotiable list. And then the negotiable is everything that you can negotiate on. You know, it's like on the non-negotiable list is doing your homework, but on the negotiable list is when you do your homework. All those little things. And obviously, as parents, you have to make sure that the negotiable list is the longest. Because then you show them like, you know, this yeah. is a democracy and you have things to say. And there are a lot of things that you can decide on so that the, the child also feels empowered. Like, whoa, okay, I do have a lot of power. I actually love that. I mean, I'm, I'm, I think that's great. No, I mean, I'm thinking of just yeah, now. Everyone also, should do this. <laughs> but yeah, and it makes it to where, um, like you said, not only it gives them where they feel like there's a long list of things they can negotiate on. And so it kind of empowers them, but it just makes sure everyone's on the same page because I think of all the times that I've been the recipient of trying to be negotiated to on things that I consider non-negotiable. And, yeah. but if I had had a list. For them. Yeah. yeah. And you can even, you know, make it fun while you make it because the biggest negotiation is to negotiate that list. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, so you empower them and you, and you, you know, you make them part of the decision-making process and then you agree on it. And we even wrote it down and I don't know where we put the paper, but we wrote it down and the whole fact of writing it down and negotiating of, I think this should be on this list. And I think it should be on that list. And, you know, and he's seeing that the negotiable list is like a lot, like, for example, he wears a uniform in school, but when he comes home, he can choose whatever he wants to wear. I don't care. So then he comes home and we don't, we never have to have, there are just, when you make this list, you empower your child. And also there are a lot of subjects you just never have to talk about anymore. So yeah. it saves you a lot of time and energy. <laughs> and <confidence. laughs> well, in the same technique, which that is just, it's fun family, you know, in parroting and everything. But I think about, even though you may not have the list when you're trying to negotiate for a job or sell, the still the same process it follows exactly what you were talking about earlier. Um, you exactly, know. yeah. That's why I love the Pacifica method. It gives you like a reference that allows you to think, okay, did I think about everything? Did I prepare everything? Did, you know, am I ready to go in here? Obviously, you can't predict anything, but might as well be prepared as much as you can, right? Yeah, no, I, I would think that like even like someone negotiating, like a hostage negotiating type of situation, you know, there's probably exactly. not. They use exactly the same. They use exactly the same method because within the company we have hostage negotiators, but then we also have the diplomats of the United Nations who use the method. We have special forces using it. We have doctors using it who negotiate with their patients, for example, who refuse to take oh, the yeah. treatment that they think is the best for them. We we have trained over one thousand doctors already um, in this method, and and that's why I, I like it so I much. Like it's just like it's applicable to everyone everywhere in the world in any form of negotiation. It's like a, a physician trying to get a patient to be um, uh, compliant on taking their medication. They said, okay, that's, 
you have to do that. It's non-negotiable, but you can wear whatever you want. And that is the beauty about negotiation. That's why I love when I coach people on negotiation, when they realize that there is so much that is negotiable, that there is so much that they do have power on. It's not just black or white. There is like a whole 50 shades of gray yeah. <laughs> in between. Well, I can see where that, that's when the, the creativity part comes in and we have fun. Yes. Well, you definitely, I think, um, I'm sure that you were great in the, the, the chapter of your career before, but I definitely think you're in the right spot for yourself. That's great. Well, uh, I like to close out um, for a lot of my other segments just to, to see if there's any type of um, uh, nonprofit or charitable organization or anything that you like to just, any, any that you are familiar with that you'd like just for other people to be aware of. Yeah, well, there are two. If we stay in the negotiation world, then one of the nonprofits that I love is ADN Kids, again, launched by the same company as the ADN Group, who has launched Pacifica Network, where with ADN Kids, they go into schools for free, volunteers do that, and then we teach children on the importance of negotiation, on the importance of conflict resolution, oh, and then like we that. also certify them, yeah, and then so they feel you know, empowered, and we tell them, now you're certified, so whenever you see conflict, you now have the obligation to either speak up or go get a teacher and inform someone. So that is AD and kids, and a second cause close to my heart is any organization that supports Duchenne muscular dystrophy, um, which is a genetic disease that um, touches one boy out of every 3,500. It's a genetic disease that slowly breaks down muscles. And uh, it's close to my heart because my son is. Okay, well, what we'll do is um, I'll, in, the, in the show notes, I'll find a couple of organizations and put them in there. Because I know that- Oh, that would be wonderful. Great. I always like to have it to where at least there's a link and you know, just to kind of highlight some. Now, what, um, um, one last question. What uh, languages do you speak? I know that you speak. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have a multicultural background, lived in several countries. So I speak in order of how I was taught. I speak Armenian, a little bit of Farsi. Dutch is probably the language I speak the best. And then English and French. Ironically, those and are I the exact same ones I speak well too. Yeah, wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, just all with a very southern accent. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, I have an accent in literally every language I speak, so that's part of it. <laughs> well, it's been a joy. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you.